Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. Today's episode is about how to create a winning Twitter content strategy. And I have with me Kathy McPhillips, an expert content strategist, marketer, and VP of marketing at CMI. She's spoken at various global events on content marketing. We'll discuss Kathy's secret recipe of creating a strong and effective Twitter marketing strategy. Listen as she shares more details about her career journey, her role at Content Marketing Institute. It's a valuable resource for everyone who wants to capitalize on Twitter marketing. Let's start off with Kathy back in the day. Let's talk about little Kathy, right? Now we have older, you know, very extremely wise Kathy, right? So let's talk about Kathy when you first started growing up. Like, where did, did you actually grow up in Cleveland as well? Or I did. You did? I left for an entire four years. Went to college down in Southern Ohio, moved back, met my husband who lived six miles from where I grew up. So... <laughs> we don't go too far. On the, with, the Clevelanders, we don't leave. No, I mean, if, if you got a good spot, I mean, and, you know, if your husband's only six miles away, I mean, why do you have to, that, that little radius, that's all you need, really. Right. I mean, all my siblings, we're all, everyone's real close. Well, mostly, but yeah, we're a, we're a tight-knit bunch. That's awesome. So your family, so your family's still really close today? Yes. Well, I have one sister in Colorado, one brother in Utah, but we're trying to get them both to come back. My sister's moving back pretty soon, but I'm one of six. One my, of six. My mom remarried and he has, my stepdad has five. So it's fun holidays. I was going to say, that's that, that's Christmas. Thanksgiving <laughs> have got to be, you got have to have a big house for that last time I checked. Yeah. So tell us about, so you had, okay, so I think an interesting fact is that there's 11 siblings in total, but you know, some merged families that always that happens. Like what's a fun fact about you like growing up that people would have no idea that they said, you'd say, okay, nobody knows this about Kathy, but I, whatever. I mean, other than your husband was six miles away, you have a pretty close knit family. Like, is there any other like cool fun facts that if anybody was like, they would never know that you can tell us, I guess. I guess one story that I've been not telling people for most of my life, but I just started telling people within the past couple of years is that I was in this really fortunate situation when I was in high school. So our high school was so big that there were four principals and they each were principals of a certain house. So one day my house principal called on, on, on the PA system in the class I was in and said, can Kathy come to the office? Which, I mean, that's unheard of. I never got called to the office. So everyone in the class was like, ooh, Kathy's in trouble. And so I went down there and he talked to me for about 15 minutes, you know, how's life? What are you doing next year? I was a senior. Tell me about your family. Are you working? What's going on? And he knew a lot of that stuff, but he said, Let, let's just kind of go through this again. I'm like, okay. We went through it. He's like, okay, thanks. Go back to class. And I just laughed like, that was really weird, but all right. So didn't think anything about it. And then about two weeks later, I got a call back down to the office and there was a man sitting there who was probably in his seventies at that time with all the principals actually. And they said, you know why you're here? And I said, I have no idea. And apparently this gentleman, he and his wife, when they were in their twenties and thirties, tried forever to have children. And they had one daughter and before she was born, they started saving for her to go to college. And she ended up passing away at a very young age. Oh. So he approached the high school that I went, where he graduated from, and said, we would like to pay for one female to go to college. So each of the principals in our school interviewed two who they thought were deserving high school seniors, female, because they wanted to be a daughter. And uh, they picked me. Jesus. I, I have like goosebumps. Like that's like crazy. Yeah. So I was really, really fortunate. We stayed in touch for a long time after. You know, I took him my report cards. I took him to lunch when I would come home on break. So I think he didn't, he's like, I don't need your report card. I'm like, I know, but you are kind of putting me here. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it took a lot of my mom's like, go see him. I'm like, I know. So she was very good at making sure I spent time with him. And then once she nudged me, I got in the habit of, you know, I enjoy spending time with him. And then the last time I saw him, I had my three-month-old in a baby carrier. I went to go see him and then I was writing him notes. And then one day I got a note returned from his lawyer saying that he had passed away. But he saw me through from 18 until my son, so, so like 10 years that you know, I knew him before he passed uh, away. So pretty cool story. That is, a, oh my God, it's not, that's like, it goes above a cool story. Like that's awesome that it's like, I think good things happen to good people. And that's one of those things that it's like, especially coming into the principal's office, you're like, I have no idea what is going on right uh, now. Right. Like, cause that's not a place you in theory want to be, right? Unless somebody's giving you a four-year scholarship, paid scholarship, and you're going to impact somebody's life in such a positive way by doing something that's awesome. Wow. That's awesome. I have to tell you out of, out of all the interviews I've done, I, I, that was, that's a very personal moment for you. And I think it's awesome that you share that. That's kind of like really cool. I'm a very like emotionally driven type person. You tell me a story and I'm like, oh my God, I, I think I know where this is going. Like, <laughs> I literally have goosebumps. That's really cool. Yeah. And I, I said to myself, once that happened, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do that for someone someday. 
Yeah. And in reality, I have two kids of my own. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I won't be able to do that fully. But, you know, whenever I can, if I can help a student help get a job or look at their resume or do something to help make their future better, it definitely has had a lasting impact on me. So it's pretty, That's... he definitely, uh, hopefully I'm carrying on a legacy that he is yeah. proud of me. Yeah. Yeah. That is so, so cool. Well, this is what you should do with your kids is that you'll surprise them and bring them in the principal's office and say, you know what? I talked to your dad and we're going to pay for your college. And be like, we had no idea, mom, you're the best. Yeah, you're welcome. Because we were, (laughs) but with that, you know what? We're just going to pay this forward. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a really cool story. So what, and you said, what what college did you go to? Ohio University. Oh. In Athens, Ohio, not Ohio State. Yeah. Just just to differentiate. Yeah. Yeah. So I was studying journalism there and it was a fun, fun place. I have have a high school senior right now and I have two kids, one who's a college sophomore and one that's a high school senior and neither of them are are going to OU. Honestly, I was a little bit. But yeah, so it's crazy. That's so okay. My son is in his second year of college at Chico State. And so, and it's crazy to have kids in college. I mean, isn't that like, for me, that's like surreal. Like I still don't really, when I say it out loud, it doesn't, I don't know. It's crazy to me. Like you're like, weren't we just there? I, I feel know? like it, like a week ago. I feel like maybe we went to the same college and I saw, I just saw you in the dorms or something. Like it's, it's a weird <laughs> thing. It's just one of those, I don't know. Like when people tell me, or when I tell people that they're like, are you serious? You have a son in college? I'm like, yeah, it's crazy to me. I should probably give him a call this week now. That now he's kind of top of mind. Well, cool. And, and so you said that you, you studied journalism, which I think makes total sense with, with your current position, right? And so you studied journalism. What did you, what was your, I mean, obviously your, your goal wasn't to go work for CMI, right? Because it wasn't even around. So what was your, what were your goal with journalism? Like, what did you want to do? Well, here's another funny story. So it was my junior year of high school and we, for our AP English class, we had to do a paper on what we wanted to do when we got older. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm 16. So I went up to the, my teacher and I said, I don't know. I don't, don't even know where I should start. And she said, well, what are your strengths? And I said, math and art. And she said, you can't be good at both of those things. Go to the library. Go take a test. <laughs> so I did. And I took this test and you answer all these personality questions and your strengths and weaknesses and everything and marketing spit out. And I was like, okay. So I was looking at schools and OU had a great journalism program and they had a bunch of different marketing paths. It made a business marketing is a business degree in journalism and journalism seemed like a better fit for me at the time. Yeah. But they're still, I mean, they're still related, you know, journalism. I knew I didn't want to work for a newspaper and write. I didn't want to be behind the camera or in front of the camera or behind for that matter. And then I just, I really lucked out. I had a professor my freshman year and we were working, it was a media planning class. Uh And she said, we were going through a bunch of numbers and I was doing some formula and she said, who's your advisor? I told her who it was and she's like, go switch to me. So I switched to her and I still talk to her today. She's amazing. But she kind of helped me navigate my path into the media planning path because she had had 30 years of craft in the hands-on job. You know, she wasn't just a professor who I had some amazing professors who were just professors, but just having that background, it was so amazing. And I still talk to her, you know, at least once a year around Christmas, but uh, kind of helped me navigate what I wanted to be doing with my journalism degree. Because when someone say, says I was media planning, but my major was journalism, like that's not even connected. I'm like, well, it's actually totally connected. But until you're like in there, you see it, you know, I could see how that could be some confusion. So it's funny. So you had, so you, one of your, and so the instructors, she actually worked at Kraft for 30 years. So she was a practitioner. She did. Oh, that's awesome. She was. Uh, so to, you know, to have, bring that knowledge with the book and the curriculum and having that, you know, okay, okay this is actually what you're going to use of this lesson. And here's how. It was, she, she was amazing. What's well, funny. So I've talked about this a little bit in the past. So I, there was a local college here in Sacramento that wanted to hire me to be an instructor. And I'm not going to tell you the college because I'm going to say something that that's not bad, but they, the lady who came to me says, Hey, a lot of our instructors are older instructors that they're teaching stuff that they've never done. Right. So there, and so that's, becomes an issue because you're, you know, you're 60 years old and you don't have an Instagram profile and you're talking about how to do Instagram marketing, right? Not say that you can't do it, but so they were saying we need a practitioner. So it was interesting to me is I was going to, I was going to go back and get my MBA or get my master's or whatever. Then all of a sudden I had UCLA knock on my door and this was, and they said, Hey, for us, usually you have to get a, you know, grandfathered in or you have to be a CMO of some crazy Adobe or something, right. To get in, but because they wanted me to talk, but do the influencer marketing thing, a personal brand influencer marketing. So they came and brought me in. I didn't have to get my MBA and they did it because I was a practitioner because I was in the space actually physically doing it, which I thought was awesome because this other college, which was a lot smaller college said, you have to have my MBA. They, we wanted my experience, but I had to have an MBA because I have to say that I have an MBA. Right. It's kind of that, that old school way of thinking of like, you want me because of my experience, but then you want me to go 
get an MBA just so behind my name, I have an MBA, which I get that because that's been the parameters up until this point. But these other people have MBAs and have you know, been teachers for 30 years, but they don't have the experience, real world experience. So it's interesting that I kind of, I'm kind of hoping that there's a little bit more of that real world experience that happens because I think, as you say, I mean, anybody can read a book and regurgitate what they just read, but it's actually to say, okay, let me show you how I applied this at craft. Let me, how I know how we put this all together, I think is, is 10 times more important, yeah. right? Of actually being able to assess the situation, assess what you're learning and be able to show the students, hey, this is, this is how it's applicable to real world situations. Right. I actually just had this discussion because like once a semester I'm teaching at Cleveland State, not teaching, but guest lecturing Cleveland State, Kent State, Akron, and a bunch of places around here. And I, I love it. I love it so much. I love seeing the students' eyes open up when you say something like, oh my gosh, I could do that or I enjoy doing that or whatever, just helping them a little bit. Like I, you know, I said, it's a passion of mine. And I pop them before and they say, do you have your MBA? And I say no. And they're like, oh. And at this point, you know, I'm 47. I'm like, do I really want to go back and invest the money to get my MBA to do this so I can make less money being a professor? It's not about the money necessarily, but the money I put out to get my MBA and the time I'd invest to go do that. I'm like, and not that I'm the most brilliant marketer in the world, but I've been working for 25 years. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing that's crazy to me is like, I literally have thought about going, like just recently going back to get my MBA strictly. And if my son hears this, he's going to lose his mind strictly just to tell my son, I got my MBA. Like it's not even for financial. It's not because I could make more money. <laughs> There's nothing more to it other than I can say, Hey, I, I, I got my MBA. Right. And for my son to tell his son, you know, so it's, it's literally a like a not an ego thing, but just to say that I did it. But there's no value like for me. Like my career doesn't. If I go other than well, not even the university thing now because UCLA came in and accepted me. So you know, at that point, I I get open arms from other universities. If I was to apply, I would think. I guess we'll see. Only time will tell. But the college thing was interesting to me. It was a very interesting transition because teaching students is just a lot different than, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you're applying the stuff that you, uh, you, you learn, but it's just a different deal. You know I mean? I would fly down to LA and my class was uh, a Tuesdays from six 30 to nine 30. And so it's three hours of curriculum, you know? And so that was like, I mean, that's a, you know, I'm a talker. Right. And, uh, but I'm like, man, three hours of, of curriculum is a long time, you know, and then putting all the right. together. It was just an interesting, it was just been really interesting. The, the learning curve on it was pretty big, but like I said, I really enjoy it now. I, I took these last few quarters off to, to work on some projects, but I'm excited about going back for sure. It's but been a great opportunity. Cool. So how did you actually get into the marketing space? I mean, other than it sounds like you had some great instructors, you were doing the journalism thing. Like, how did that catapult you? Like when you got out of college, like how did you, did you realize, hey, marketing was the, the way for you other than some assessment tests that you've taken and stuff like that? Like, when did you realize like, hey, marketing was, which, what do you want to pursue as a career? I really just loved it when I got to school. You know, I loved the media planning classes. I even loved my copywriting class, which, you know, you'd think you wouldn't just because of my, my math brain, but I loved I think part of why I loved the copywriting class was my professor was so analytic about our work. And if you followed the rubric, you got an A. And I was such a rule follower that I did it. But it was just so fascinating to use like that side of my brain. So I'm like, okay, I really like all aspects of this. And when I graduated from OU, I moved back to Cleveland and it took me almost a year to find a job. So I worked at the mall just to make some money. And then I found a job at an ad agency in Cleveland called Look at Stash Hour. And the media department there was very small and no one was going anywhere. So I knew I was not going to get a going to get a job there, but they had an opening in production just as a coordinator. I'm like, okay, I'll take it, get my foot in the door. And then hopefully eventually I'll be able to move into the media department. And once I was there, it was really eye-opening. You know, I saw a lot of things I wasn't exposed to in school. I was learning the creative team knew me, the production team knew me. They were dependent on me to do these, all these things. And when I did transfer into, the, into the, my media role, it was just so nice because you know, the way the media works with production and creative, you know, I was going to them as a media planner saying, okay, I'm booking this TV spot. I'm booking this print ad. You know, do you want the print ad horizontal or vertical? Do you want the commercial 15 second or 30 second? And the crazy people are like, oh my gosh, no one ever asks us this. They just say, we bought 15 seconds, make it, make it work. So having the experience in this department, I really didn't love. Oh, it was great. It really was. But I just knew it wasn't what I ultimately wanted us to do. It was very, very good for me. I think it's been great to try out different things at, at agencies. So I worked, I worked at two agencies and then I've been doing my own thing since 99 until I met Joe. So it sounds like you worked for a few agencies. So that's where you kind of got some experience from it. And then you um, started your own agency, right? I mean, you had your own company up until like, I did. nine. And then, I did. Know. From 99 to 2012, I was doing my own thing. I was very fortunate that when I was at Wise Advertising in Cleveland, I had an amazing boss who ended up moving out to LA and was working at Saatchi at LA. He's actually still there. And one of my old clients, who was one of my biggest accounts I worked on, I was Applebee's International. And he was in Kansas City. So right about the time I was leaving, he was leaving. And he said, 
you know, I called him one day and I said, Hey, I just want to let you know I'm quitting. I'm going to stay home for a little bit and do my own thing. I had a newborn at that time or one year old. And he said, can you wait two weeks? Because I'm actually quitting. And I said, no, because I already made my mind up. <laughs> so I said, but before I, you know, I went to him first, I said, before I went, go and tell my boss, I work with a bunch of 20 year old women. So it's going to travel fast. I want you to find out from me before you hear it from somebody else. Yeah. I mean, I was one of those 20 something year old women. So, but anyway, so he started working for an agency for a restaurant group in Oklahoma city and said, would you do all of my media from home? I'd rather have you in Cleveland doing it from home than having someone in Oklahoma city who I don't know. So I said, sure. So that started something small just so I could kind of take do my mom thing for a little bit and still have some hours and you know keep my brain in the industry. And then slowly but surely, a few people were reaching out to me saying, hey, I loved your work when you were at Wise. Are you looking for some business? And it was nice. It was, I mean, I look back and I don't know how I did, how I was working, the hours I was working with little kids, but I did. <laughs> Somehow I survived. Um, it was hard. Lots, lots of hard days, lots of late nights, early mornings, but yeah, and I loved it. And I think what I liked most about it was aside from the relationships that I had and how they understood what I was trying to do, why I was home. And so I kind of taught myself a lot of things that I wouldn't have learned in roles that I was in otherwise. You know, I read I read things every day, probably way too much. So when social came along, you know, I taught myself how to do it. When this came along, I digital came along, I learned how to do analytics. You know, just things like that that if I was just in a role in, in a for a company or for an agency, I probably wouldn't have had those opportunities or may not have pushed myself as much to go look for them or find them. Yeah. So it sounds interesting. It sounds like, well, first of all, you put yourself in a position to be able to find a lot of opportunities. You treat people right, and you do good things, and then it naturally comes your way and you're always a learner, right? So you're always there's always yeah. the next up. I think that's what I love about the digital space is that there's always something to learn. There's always you know, I, I always try to learn just enough to be dangerous. And then I go find somebody that's better at it than me, right? So I can hire them. So that's, that's always my goal is just so I know, you know, kind of the, the premise of how things need to be handled. And, you know, we'll get my hands dirty most of the time in the beginning, and then hopefully have somebody that can, can take it off my hands. So, and then you end up meeting Joe, right? This is what year? You said 99? 2012, I met Oh, Joe. 2012. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so in the last seven years. And then how did that, I mean, how did that all come about? It was kind of a like a perfect storm. He was looking for someone to head up marketing. So at that time, he and Pam Kozalka, who was running operations, they were kind of tag teaming the marketing part of it. So he also had at one point a heating and cooling arm of CMI. I'm not sure if you if you know that, but they were doing some content creation for the HVAC industry. So companies could call them and say, "We'll use take some of your blog posts, you know, so we don't need to write them." And among other things, that's very making it sound so small, but it actually was a pretty cool venture. And then. So my brother-in-law owns a heating and cooling company in Cleveland. And then I had been tweeting with Joe and then something else. I think I came up on a LinkedIn search. So three things. So he asked my brother-in-law, do you know anyone in Cleveland? He said, well, my sister-in-law, but she has her own thing, but maybe she can help you out in the meantime. And then I was tweeting him and then I came up on a search on LinkedIn. He's like, all right, maybe I should call her. So we ended up meeting for breakfast and he kind of went through what the job description was. And at that point, I had a full, I had 40 hours. I was full with a bunch of clients. And by the end of the breakfast, I said, okay, you know, this actually sounds really interesting. Um, I said, I can give you 20 hours. That's the best I can do right now. And he said, okay, I'll have you full time in six months. I was like, walking out, I'm like, I don't know who this guy thinks he is, <laughs> but I really, <laughs> I really am happy with what I'm doing right now. So four months later, I went full time. <laughs> so he was right. Joe, Joe for the win. There we go. That's what yep. happens, I guess. Yep. Huh? So you were, that's funny. I love it that you're like, I was already working 40 hours and I was like, I can give you 20 hours. You're like, okay, so I'll be at 60 hours. You, you sound like myself. Like it's one of those, like, no, I, there's more room. And wife's like, there's no more room. I'm like, no, there is some room. Watch out, make some room. And she's like, we'll find some. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the reason why you're losing your hair, Shane, because you're, there's not a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of room left. Awesome. So, and then obviously that's been the last seven years. And obviously we all, we all know what Content Marketing Institute, what they've done and what you guys have put together. It's a phenomenal program and the books that Joe's put together and all that kind of stuff. So I know you had just recently gone to like Content Tech Summit in San Diego. How did you like that summit? Like I, I haven't been out there yet, but I heard good things about it. How was that when you're there? Obviously San Diego is a fun place to visit as well, but. Right. So it's a CMI event. I don't oh, know if you knew that, but. I did not know that. So in previous years, we had the Intelligent Content Conference. That was one of our events. and. We had that in Las Vegas. We had it in San Francisco for a few years, moved it to Las Vegas for a couple more years. And then this year we decided to pivot it a little bit and get away from the whole idea of intelligent content and look more, look, focus more on just content and technology yeah. and strategy because we thought that was like a sweeter spot for marketers than the intelligent content side. That's a lot heavy content strategy, a lot of things that marketers really 
aren't and shouldn't be involved in, they might want to know about it, but do you really want to invest all this money for things that you should know about, but you won't, can't implement? Yeah. So we know the technology they can, the strategy they can. So we, Content Tech was born. In San Diego, I have to tell you, San Diego versus Las Vegas for me <laughs> was such a better... We, I mean, the sun was shining, kind of pretty much guaranteed beautiful weather. Always. And we loved, we loved Vegas, but San Diego, I really liked. But it was a good event. We had a lot of really great speakers, about 40 speakers, 400 people. So it's a much smaller version of Content Marketing World. And the thing I like about Content Tech, the best way for me to describe it is Content Marketing World, we covered the gamut. You know, 28 tracks, I think, this year of content marketing, you know, from social to ROI to sales, demand gen, et cetera. And Content Tech is really focused on everything but content creation, like what you do before you create content, figure out what you should be writing about, and then what you do with it after from a distribution, amplification, analytics standpoint. And it's not really focused on the writing per se. Yeah. So everything else. So I thought it was I thought it was really fun. I learned so much. I mean, there are such so many smart speakers in the industry. Like Andy Cresidina and Chris Penn like blew my mind. Of anybody there, those two are just so darn smart. And I'm in the analytics mode right now. So I think that was part of it. Yeah. But it was pretty cool. Yeah. Andy is I we had we've had Andy on the podcast and, and Chris is one of those you talk about analytics. I mean, his last name should just be analytics. Like with with what he puts right. together stuff, he's like He's next level. I'll watch his videos and I go, God, I wish I was smart. I'm like, maybe one day. I know. It's like maybe <laughs> just one tenth of what Chris is. That would be awesome. I'll take yeah. that. If you can hear me, dear Lord, this is my one request for Christmas or Santa Claus or whoever can bring that this year. Awesome. So let's, so obviously you guys have been putting on a lot of events and that's cool. And you guys got a lot of, I mean, that's what, uh, that's what I love about events. Cause I've, I've spoken at quite a few events is that I love, well, first I like speaking, but what I really enjoy is going and listening to everybody else, right. And pulling those little nuggets from, from the other presenters that I've known for a long time. And it's like, Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, that's something new. I mean, that's like my favorite part of that. I was just in St. Louis for MDMC, which is like a big, the big conference they have in the Midwest. And I spoke out there, but I, I got there I wasn't speaking until Thursday. I got there on Monday because I wanted to like, you know, go to the whole conference and check it out. And then, and, and obviously eat as much barbecue as I physically possibly could, which I did push out by the way, um, see the arches or arch and all that kind of fun stuff. But yeah, that was fun. I, I definitely enjoy that. Cause fun. I leave with all these notes. You're like, man, there's so much of this basic stuff that I totally forgot about and some new stuff that I have to implement. You know, and then I get to go back to my team and my whole team's like, Oh God, here we go. It's going to be one week of Shane's new bright ideas on everything we have to implement in this next week. Um, well, especially when you're doing things like changing your podcast or doing something where you're like, oh my gosh, I know this stuff and I, it worked when I was doing all my blog, but now I'm doing a whole new thing. I got to start kind of start over a little bit. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, it, it is one of those things you have to, you know, for me, I look at it and I go, okay, I can't go too crazy. Like I have to take little pieces of this. Like what can I implement? That's not too crazy. Like, right. So I, cause my poor team, I have a 30 something team. They're all remote. So I have a, a good sized team, but you know, they know when I come back from these conferences, they're like, one of my main guys, he like braces himself. He's like, all right, so what did, what did you learn? Like, what, do we, what do we have to do differently? What do we have to add to? And I go, no, it's not too bad. It's only, you know, 10 pages of notes and it'll be fine. I'll just give you. And then like three hours later, he's like, I don't even know why I've partnered with you at this point. And it's just, you just, you want to do all this new stuff, all fun stuff though. And we all get it done. So it's all good. But right. so what would be like, I mean, this is kind of a hard question. Like, what is your favorite social media platform for marketing? Like, is there like, what, is there like a platform that you guys use or that you use uh, or use with your clients or whatever, where you go, this is like something that like, I can't live without. Like, what is, is there one platform that you can think of that you're like, this is, that's it. Like, that's the one. I love Twitter. I feel like a lot of people don't, but I really do. For business, I feel like I like Twitter the best. Uh, LinkedIn's growing on me again. Yeah. Personally, I love Instagram, but from a business standpoint, I feel like Twitter and LinkedIn are better for us. Yeah. And it's funny, I'm a fan of Twitter as well. I probably haven't been as responsive the last probably year than I in the past, but I do enjoy, I've spent a lot of time and a lot of, I don't know, I guess a lot of resources into Twitter and I've always really enjoyed Twitter. I just haven't been doing it as much as I think I would like to. I'm sure my, my numbers are down in regards to like engagement and stuff, but I do enjoy Twitter. I think it's a little, it's a little crazy out there. But I think I kind of enjoy that when you kind of, you know, filter things out and kind of, you, you can have some great conversations because that's where everybody's talking, right? right? And so it's like that ongoing fast conversation of, of where you can find out a lot of cool stuff. I think like, you know, the Twitter, I know we used to use a lot of the, um, we're like putting the lists together, which I think was always underused by a lot of people of like when I would go to conferences, we I would add them on Twitter on these lists and then, you know, we can kind of continue to engage with them so they would remember who you were. So there was these little touch points, which I thought was kind of cool. So I'm, I do, I'm a, I'm a fan of Twitter as well. It's, 
you know, but like anything else, it's like, you just got to figure out where you're going to spend your time. You know, it's like, there's so many, now there's so many platforms and TikTok and this and that and the other. It's just like, man, it gets to a point where you're like, I just got to control a few of these things and, you know, build a nice little audience here and, you know, get them, pull them back to the website somehow and get them to the conference and let them know where I'm speaking and when are my books coming out and all this, you know, when the podcast coming out and, you know, just right. drive that traffic. So always interesting. So cool. So like, what do you think when it comes to, so you're talking about obviously Twitter and then LinkedIn is starting to grow on you. What do you think, what do you think the change has been in LinkedIn? Like, why is it starting to grow on you? Like what, I mean, I can tell you what I think, and it's probably something that's happened in the last few years, but what it, why is LinkedIn starting to grow on you? Is that something you guys use at CMI a lot or is it just for you as an individual? Um, both, but I think for, as a business, you know, for CMI and for our event, I really love, if I'm trying to target somebody with a paid message, there's nothing better than LinkedIn. I mean, I can tell, I can target down to the company. I mean, which is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. And it's expensive, but you get what you pay for. Yeah. Um, I think that's really cool. You know, I'm running tons of tests right now with various companies versus job titles versus geography versus, you know, doing all these different things. And I can go in there every few days and optimize it, test different ads. And it's been, it's been really good for us. People are keep telling me like, all I see is your ads. I'm like, yes, don't click. <laughs> don't click on them. If you, know, if you know you're coming, don't click. That's right. But that's been really good for us. And, I, and it, they keep changing groups. We've got a pretty robust 50,000-ish folks in our LinkedIn group. Yeah. And it's been, and I, you couldn't moderate the discussions. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do this. And I, they do a method of their madness. You know, it was a little frustrating at first as a moderator, even though I'm not the one that does it day to day. Monina Wagner from our team does that. But, you know, she'll call me. She's like, oh my gosh, this group, they keep changing things. And there's so much spam. But we just changed our group actually in the past 18 months where if you post a message, just, just a link to your um, website, to a blog or Anything as a link, actually. Yeah. Anything that doesn't engage conversation, we delete your post. So our entire group is all questions or conversations. It's amazing. Yeah. And we're one of the few groups that actually have people coming back saying thank you. You know, and it's it's a lot of work. It's you know, Mo invests a lot of time every single day going in there and deleting stuff. And slowly LinkedIn starting to recognize what we're accepting, what we're not accepting. So they're kind of doing it for us, which is really nice. So that's cut down a lot. But we've had some really good discussions in there. And just from my standpoint of looking for how to market to our audience. Our editorial team is looking at, you know, what discussions are happening in there. Our programming team for the event is looking at, you know, what names are coming up a lot. Yeah. So things like that, that it's, you know, it's not analytics. It's not digging into GA or Adobe or anything like that, but it's those anecdotal conversations. And what we're seeing, you know, Mo will say, oh my gosh, this post, somebody asked a question on this and it blew up. It's all about ROI. Can we cover this on the blog? Or this person is answering everyone's questions. So they be speaking at our event. So it's really good for us just to, you know, social listening is just so important. As much as we have all this data, to be listening to it, things socially is really important for us. And it's a great place. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. We've had, I've had like fitness influencers that we've uh, created like Facebook groups and stuff like that. And it's funny, a lot of the potential eBooks or anything that we would create was due to what people were talking about in the group, right? You would find out what was hot, what people wanted to know about and this, that and the other. And then you'd create content around that. So it sounds like you guys do the same thing. I mean, you have really this test group, not test group, but I mean, it's like this group of people that are talking about stuff and naturally they're going to, and you see what people are talking about, what they're not talking about. Or I didn't, I thought about the other side of it is who's answering the questions and seems to know what they're talking about. We should have them come speak. I just, right. that I need to be in your forum more and I need to answer more questions, which is good to know, mental note. Uh, and sure. I, I'd be remiss, but would not be happy if I didn't mention that we started a Slack group also. Ah. So she's been, and I don't, Slack, I haven't really gotten into it yet. Because part, partly because she does such a good job of doing it that I don't have to. Yeah. But a lot of the same conversations are going are starting over there for those folks who aren't really interested in the LinkedIn group. Yeah. I've done I've belonged to quite a few Slack groups. And once again, they can either be just super phenomenal and you know, great information, or sometimes they can, you know, it just depends on how they're developed and who's, you know, moderating and who's putting it on. But I do have two Slack groups that are like over the top. Like I just not that I couldn't live without them, but they're just awesome. Like once again, very engaging. People are like everybody's helping everybody. You can produce, you know, promote content and do all kinds of stuff. And everybody kind of knows where they're supposed to report promote stuff and do stuff. So it's, if done correctly, Slack, I think like that, those groups can be absolutely crazy, phenomenal. Uh, but it takes a mm -hmm. good moderator and somebody that knows how to like, you know, corral all the cats, right? And get everybody in this position, do this and don't do this and don't do this. All right. Once you get the community listening and once they, they actually do what you say, then it becomes easier. But in the beginning, it's definitely... It's probably in the beginning, it's more like corralling drunk cats. Like, I don't know if cats get drunk, but I'm just, this picture of these cats that are- But if they did. If they did drink a lot, then I think this is <laughs> what it would be like. I'm assuming that's what it would be like. Right. Awesome. So you obviously are a huge fan of Twitter. Like, what is your, like, do you have like a secret recipe on creating like 
content for Twitter or what, what have you learned over the years? Because obviously you, you enjoy it. Do you use it more for personal or business or both? Or like, what do you kind of, what, what's your strategies there? Pretty much only business. I mean, I'll have conversations, personal conversations with people I know pretty much through content marketing world or through CMI. But I think, you know, back in 2013, before that, our, the first event I attended for CMI, we started a Twitter chat 10 weeks prior to the event just to see, just to basically more of a promotional tool. And I told Joey, so let's try it for 10 weeks. If it flops, then let's just stop it after the event. We'll just, you know, two and a half months. And at the event, people were coming up to me saying, what's next week's topic? And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to keep doing this. So, and it's still going, you know, we're four, five, can't do the math, six years in. And it's, it's amazing. And a lot of and the, the people have turned over a little bit. You know, some people have been there from the very beginning. Yeah. But every week we have these discussions with, we have special guests, special topics. But more often than not, like next week, we're actually having um, just a community chat. And we're just going to see how it goes. And I said, our, our community carries the chat. It's, I mean, the guest is great and the topic is great. Yeah. But ultimately, it's the hundreds of people who show up every single week, talk to each other and just share success stories. Or have you tried this? Or, oh my gosh, I tried this new tool. Have you looked into it? It's free. You get a free two-week trial or whatever the case may be. Or just to have, a, you know, a lot of us work from home. So it's really nice to talk to a human every now and then, even if we're doing it online. But that's been really good for us. And I think one of the things we've done really well, we've done lots of crummy things too, but one of the things I think we've done really well is we've carried that CM World hashtag, not only from our Twitter chats and through our event, but we use it every single day all year long. So the community, we, in our Tuesday noon Eastern Twitter chats, quick plug to our event and everything in between for blog posts, someone asking a question about something. And it's just, it's kind of just has a life of its own. So it's been really good for us that you know, people might see it on Tuesday or see it on a random blog post and say, oh, what's this hashtag? And they're going to find out about it. So it's not like we have our four days together in Cleveland every year, but we stay in touch hopefully not 24 hours a day. But, you know, every single day throughout the year, whenever we want to reach out to one another. So it's grown into something pretty spectacular. Yeah, that's cool. That's kind of like the Slack groups that I've seen with that is once you build something like that, what's awesome. In the beginning, I've seen like we have some that we're a part of. In the beginning, you see the moderators having to talk a lot. And then you get to a point where the, everybody's just talking, right? And that's what's awesome about it is once it's taken on its own life, it sounds like that's what the Twitter chats have done. It's like, like obviously, the guests are great. But at the end of the day, it's the 50, 100, those people that are there actually having a conversation and interacting back and forth where the magic really happens, right? Where I think right. like you have that interaction where it's like people look forward to, as you said, people ask you, at, you know, whether conferences or, hey, what are we talking about next week? I think it's kind of interesting to see. I, I remember when I first heard about Twitter chats, I was like, God, like, I don't know if I really get it. And then all of a sudden I jump in one or I'm a guest of one. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, okay. So I, I, it's like this swarm of bees that come in and have this great conversation. And then all of a sudden an hour later, they're gone. It's like, wow, that was kind of, kind of crazy. It's like a Care Bear stare. Right. You know, we'll remember back. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. And one thing, you know, when I, when I started, you know, when we have webinars, our webinar, our hashtag for webinars was hashtag CMI. And then we we're talking about, should we do a year on top of our, you know, CM world 13, 14, 15. I'm like, no, get everything the same because CMI has different meanings. You know, at least CM world, we pretty much own that hashtag. Every now and then you'll see it come up something and something random, but apparently hashtag CMI also means can't make it. Interesting. <laughs> so we were, so I was like following it on tweet chat or in tweet deck and I was like, what is this? I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, that's one thing about funny thing about hashtags is you just need to figure out, does it, could it mean anything else? Yeah. So. We've kind of just said anything across the board, even though our webinars don't really revolve around our event, they revolve around our community. And that's what's most important to us. Yeah. How big is your guys' team? There are 22 of us. Ah, okay. Because I was, it's just interesting because I'm always interested to see the impact that a team makes and how many people are behind it. Because I think I'm, I, sometimes I'm shocked. Or sometimes like, oh, I thought you had more people. Because you guys, I think, as an example, like CMI has, a, I think, a, a huge footprint, right? I mean, huge footprint because you're putting on events and you're doing a lot of, and then obviously Joe's books and stuff like that. I think you guys have made a, a huge impact and well, especially in the content space, but I think in, in, in other spaces as well, but it's just interesting. I was just kind of curious on how many people we had on, on the team. Well, that doesn't include all our blog, blog contributors, our event yeah. team. We have lots of people to help us, Yeah, but our core group is 22 right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. And we're virtual and people don't know that. So like, wait, you work, you work from home? Like, oh yeah. Yes. So, you know, we had Joe's, we had Joe's upstairs his conference table for a little while, but you know, we're all at home workers and we range from Robertson, LA. Um, we have some team members in Boston and we have everything in between. Most of, a lot of us are half the team is here in Cleveland, Yeah, but we're pretty spread out as well. That's awesome. Yeah. I know the same with my team. I, I, 
I had a company this back in the, you know, many moons ago that it was 130 people and then we were all in one building and that was like crazy. And I told myself that I would never do that again. I was like, I do not want to have 130 people in the same building with me being in charge of that. Like I'm the, so now my whole team's all over the world. So it's, I like that 24 hour cycle of like things need to be get done and they have people that wake up and then get it done and they wake up in the morning and then I hand it to a client. They're like, I don't know how you got that done when you were supposed to be sleeping. And I'm like, I don't know, secrets. I can't tell you either. (laughs) Right. We just get stuff done. Okay. Just know that, that we're going to be on top of it. So what have you seen like in regards to Twitter, like that receives the highest engagement? Because obviously you guys have done a lot of, a number of different things. I mean, obviously I know like, you know, on Instagram, it's like, hey, you a picture gets some engagement, but videos seem to do really well. The same thing on Facebook, right? The video thing seems to be kind of big. Have you seen what, like on Twitter, have you seen anything that you're like, oh, that seems to, and I know it constantly changes because of algorithms and stuff like that. But is there anything that is as historically done really well for you guys when it comes to like engagement on Twitter? Yeah, Mo's done a really good job of playing around with a bunch of different things. You know, she'll take one blog post and she'll run it with just text in the link. She'll do one with the Twitter card. She'll do one where there's a video she that corresponds to it and she'll upload the raw video. And she's tried all of it. And the picture, it does the best. Video is doing well, but just text by itself, you know, she's kind of put on with it and that's just not the best for her. But I think what we have known we've noticed is like with our speakers and with other things that we're doing, if we, ha- you know, our editorial director, she's sending out an email to a blog contributor saying the post is running tomorrow. Here's some pre-written tweets. Here's an image you can use. Here's the link you can use so we can track it back to you. And here's this, this, and this. We do that with our content marketing world speakers as well. You know, here's a link to your session. Here's your personalized discount code. So we are handing this nice packet of information to our contributors and to our helpers. So we need their help. And if we're asking for their help, we better be preparing them with something that we're not going to have them have to spend how much time working. You know, we don't want them to work too hard to help us, you know. So we try to make it as neat and as packaged and they can edit it and they can change it to their heart's content. But if they can't, we have it ready for them. So I think that's really good from the amplification and distribution standpoint to use the resources that we already have. And that's been really beneficial for us. And make it a no brainer, right? I mean, that's the thing is because people are, I mean, that's the thing is if you want them to help you and support what you've got going on, you need to give them the tools. You need to give them the stuff, right? And we've realized that but back in the day when we would have expert roundups or whatever we would do, my God, nobody seems to be sharing it. It's like, well, but then when we started sending them banners that were already made and do this and put this here and put this there, then we saw uh, obviously a higher increase in the amount of people are doing that because it's a no brainer. I can either click this, I can copy this, I can tweak this a little bit. Oh, we already have a banner made. So it's, you know, they don't necessarily need want to have to tap into their resources because they're already busy with their own stuff. So if you make it easy. Right. I think I've also seen that they'd rather have us do that than have us, you know, say we do a roundup post on Content Marketing World. And there's 15 speakers that were, we pulled a quote or something from. They'd rather have us send them an email saying you're in this post and here's some information versus us tagging all of them on LinkedIn. You know, we're trying to avoid you know, that's, it's personal, you know, like you're like, my feed is already busy enough. I don't need someone tagging me in some post, even if it's completely relevant and I'm in it, but be considerate. And I think us giving them the tools is a lot easier than us blasting them and then, you know, making them like, why did you do that? Yeah. I might be guilty of that potentially. I'm not going to plead fully guilty. But like one person or two people I think is okay. But when you're doing like 50 at one time, that's when I think when it gets a little bit. Yeah. It gets a little... So don't, so don't do that. I'll try not to. I'll tell the team. I'm like, okay, this is... We got to quit doing this. Dr. <laughs> you're like, this shoot. This is code red. This is... Damn it. I knew we were doing something wrong this week. And now I figured it out. That's awesome. So what do you... So obviously, let's talk about like the content marketing techniques. Like, is there anything that you've seen, like, let's say, in you know, 2019, 2020, some cool stuff that's coming along that you're like, if you're a content marketer or you're a brand, like this is something you should really take a look at. Is there anything new and riveting that you've seen over the last year or two? Or is it all kind of like, hey, it's all about, you know, putting out great content and the amplification of it and distribution of it? I think a couple things. One, I'm so big in the podcast right now. So that's like my favorite thing in the world. I walked, I, you know, I go for a walk or run every day. I listen to some podcasts and I just walk down the street and I laugh. Like right now, I'm listening to Conan O'Brien's podcast, which is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my whole entire life. But I listen to a lot of marketing ones also. Oh my gosh, it's hysterical. Um, so I love audio because we can listen to it in so many different ways. You know, whether we're cooking or working or walking or running or whatever we're doing is sitting in our car. That it's just something we can do with so many other things that we're doing. And I think it's really great. And there's some really solid podcasts coming out. But with that said, with as with so many coming out, there's so many that are probably really junk too. You know, like how do you stand out? How can you differentiate? I think that's what I was going to say. My second thing is if you aren't producing something that's amazing every single day, then stop publishing every single day. You know, drop to once a week or drop something that you know that I think that's what we're going to see this year, next year, 
we should have already seen it actually, is people that are just pushing out content for content sake are not going to be around long. You know, it's just, there's so much stuff out there yeah. that you have to do something to differentiate yourself. I mean, changing the name of your podcast, I think is brilliant because it's, it just, it stands out. You know what it is, you know what it is and it's different. It's not just content, something, it's something bigger. It's something as you, yeah. it's you as a person that people identify with you versus just some content term. So um, making those connections. Yeah. And that's for us, it really was. It was like, we, I like content that converts, but I just also didn't want to be pigeonholed into just talking about content. Cause a lot of the podcasts, like, you know, my, in the beginning, I'll be honest, my team was like, Hey, listen, like, you know, I listened to the whole hour podcast and there's, there's only a, a few tips that I can get from a marketing perspective. And I go, yeah, but I want a podcast where I'm talking to people. Like people are human. Like, you know, like, give me your background, your family. Like I want to kind of get to know the individual. I mean, podcasts are hard to like give, like here goes 50 tips that you need to write down and go do like, it's, you know, you should, get some good stuff in the middle of it. But and so that's why I thought, you know what, I don't want it to be just about that. Like I want it to be because I'm a little bit of a smart aleck, right? And I like to have some fun. And I mean, I've had conversations about meth with somebody like not doing meth, but just like somehow we were joking around about meth. And so there's like these weird little conversations that you listen to you like, how did you guys even get on that? Like, I don't know. It has nothing to do with content. Last time I checked, I don't think meth and content go together that I know of unless I don't know. But anyway, so it's like these weird conversations that I would have with people still, you know, once again, and, and they were just, you know, and I get a lot of emails afterwards and people are like, God, that was, I, that was a great interview. Thank you so much. Which for me, I was like, oh, it's because I, I try not to be, I don't want to be just real like, oh, let's talk about content. Like, oh, yay. Tell me about your content. Like, it's like, oh, this is super not exciting at all. Like, I want some people want to listen to and I enjoy listening to and say, oh, right. it's kind of fun. And, and I got a few good things out of it. And I don't know. I'm just, I try to do things a little differently and hopefully that will make us win in the end. Well, I guess we'll find out here soon. Right. Well, a couple of years ago, we were doing, we were having a little bit of a lull in our webinar attendance. And we were doing a lot of the same things we'd done years prior when it was really do, do, doing well. So one of the topics was just kind of, mm, it was okay. And we couldn't figure out, and our webinar team called and said, you know, what are we doing? What can we be doing differently? And I'm like, did you tell them who was the guest? I'm like, because if you tell them that, I forget who it was, but if you tell them it was Jay Bear, it doesn't matter what the topic was. People are going to show up. Yeah. So focus on the person, not about the topic. We could all talk about some of these topics, good or bad. But if you tell them that the face behind it, the name behind it, my gosh, that's what people care about. You know, if Jay Bear's talking about something, you're going to listen. It's going to be good or funny or entertaining or something. Yeah. You, know, you, you may not learn something absolutely brilliant every single time, but you'll learn something and he'll keep you engaged and entertained. And his suit. You know? And his suits were guts. And his suit. Just, you know, he's going to come out flagrant. Just, whoo, just come out there and you're like, man, what's going on there? Good old shout out to Jay. That, that guy. I love that guy. He's the best. He is. He's a, he's a cool cat for sure. So rumor has it that you might be working on a book. Is this, are the rumors? Oh, in my head. Oh, yeah. don't be modest with me, damn it. Tell us about your book. I know you got something going on. You, you're, I know how you are. You're a go-getter. Don't, this isn't just a little idea that you thought of. You've got a few notes on it. You don't need to give us all the details, but what's, what, give us a little premise here. Well, I don't know. I really honestly don't know. You don't because know. Because I've been wanting to do this forever. I put it on my 50 before 50 list at a time. And things I want to do before I turn 50, obviously. Years. And I know, right? So I need at least a topic by then. So I don't know. I talked to Joe Polizzi about writing a book with him and he laughed at me. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> he was like, Kathy. And I kind of have like an imposter syndrome. I'm like, what would I, would people really care about that I could write on with expertise? So I don't know, something. It's hard. I'm telling you. So I, and I've talked about this with most of my, my guests, you know, I've talked about doing a book. Like honestly, if I had a dollar for every time I talked about me writing a book, I could just retire. Like I have at least a thousand dollars, maybe, maybe $2,000. We don't even know. I, I taught like my book is like the, and that's why I was giving you a hard time about it. Cause it's like I, that the way I can reflect from me not writing my book. And I've talked about doing my book and this, that, and the other, but it's like, you know, it's, the problem is I think, and this happens with clients, happens with a lot of things is I overthink it right? It's like, Hey, you have expertise. You can, you know, it's like whatever you come out with, you probably could get some sales and you've, you know, done the speaking, you know, the stuff that I think will drive this, but it's just, I don't know. It's like just finalizing something because you want it to have an impact, you know? So I don't know. It is a little difficult. And I, I've had, actually, I talked to Andy, Chris, you know, he was like, how about this? Next time I talk to you, Shane, like, you're going to have to tell me that you have chapter one or two. <laughs> And I've just avoided him. Now, I, I can't talk to Andy. And so if Andy's listening to this, and I, I, this, I last time was in that interview was the last time I'll ever talk to Andy Crestedino, unfortunately, because I think he's an awesome guy, but I, I'm going to have to avoid him like an ex-girlfriend because or it's just, I, I don't know, or come up with some chapters and I can look him in the eyes like a grown man and say, hey, we're good. I, I did what I told you I was going to do and, you know, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Like, now we're good. Like, there you go. We're good. 
So maybe we should write a book together and just make everyone happy. There we go. I mean, if we get, we get two procrastinators that come in together, I mean, there's <laughs> some magic could happen. Either that or we're just going to look at each other and go, I mean, maybe. I don't, I don't know. What would you want to write about? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I know. Well, and it's funny because it's like the premise of like putting stuff together. And I'm, I'm not, I'm okay. I'm not a bad writer. You're a journalist. I have writers on my team. Like it shouldn't be difficult. Like it really should be like, hey, this is what we need to do. I can come up with the, you know, the whatever it is. I don't know. I'm going to, I think if probably at this point, my, the listeners are like, I'm just so tired of him talking about that book that he's not going to write. How about this? I promise I'm going to write this book before I die. How about that? The cool part about it is that if I die, I mean, nobody can give me a hard time whether I came out of the book or not, right? Which is kind of, I don't know, it's a little sick and twisted on a Monday, but I just figure I know it's a lot of information for you guys. All right. So let's- That just got heavy. I know, I know. Right at the, I try to do that right at the end just to kind of throw people off like, Jesus, is he, is he serious? Is, does he, does he want to die? No, I'm good. I'm actually really happy. So we're going to go on an extremely lighter note of death and hashtag and books. So you do a lot of stuff like nonprofits. Like you do, I, I know I saw some of the different organizations that you were a part of. Like, tell me a little bit about that. Tell us about the, little, the personal side of, of Kathy. Oh, okay. So one of, I was in the restaurant marketing space for a number of years. And I was at an event in Dallas with a company called People Report. And it was a service sector in this industry event. And Billy Shore, who founded um, Share Our Strength, which... Mm-hmm is branded No Kid Hungry, was up on stage talking about his organization. And I just sat there in awe about what he was doing. Are you familiar with them at all? No, no, no. Okay. So Billy and his sister went on a mission trip to a third world country. And while they were there, and this is like such the abbreviated version of the story, but while they were there, they were just shocked by the hunger that they had seen. And they think they came back. They're like, we want to solve world hunger. And they're like, okay, let's be let's be realistic. That's been, people tried to do it before and it's not working. So they said, okay, let's try to figure out what could we do? So let's focus on hunger in the United States. Still pretty big. Let's focus on children, hungry children. And they kept whittling it down to like, what, what can we really make? Where can we really make a difference? And they fo- are focusing on children in school because they figure they could get access to there's systems in place and things like that. Yeah. So, and that's their strength to share. And that's why the company share our strengths. So they are working on school breakfast programs where every child has access to school breakfast because there are studies that show, I mean, it's very logical, but there are studies that show that if you come to school with, and you've eaten breakfast, you're going to be that much more successful. You'll yeah. be focused. You'll be paying attention uh, and you'll just do better. Backpack programs for weekends or for snow days, summer meal programs. So they have done so much and it's absolutely amazing. So when I was working social media work for them for a number of years, and I created the social council with a, num- a few of us created the social council where we found people in the community that were active on social media that were big followers, that they were kind of like, okay, if we were going to activate something on social, whether it was a Giving Tuesday promotion or something else, we were going to this group saying, okay, here's our plan. What could we do differently that would make more sense in the, so- in the social media landscape? So pe- we had people, a lot of people come in and out and say, we would do this or do this, or what can we do? So we have this group of 50 people right now that whenever time there's an activation, we have this group ready to roll. So since I transitioned out of the role of working on the business, I'm now on the social council. Mm. So I'm doing that. That's one thing. One of my friends, Amber, who lives in town with me, she uh, is a social worker. And she started a company or a nonprofit a year and a half ago called Community of Hope. And they're in Cleveland. And she helps children who age out of foster care get on their feet. And it's a really interesting model where she right now there's about 44 young adults that are being helped. And every young adult is connected with six or seven adults. And these these six or seven adults meet with this one child once a week for an entire year. When you commit, you commit to one one hour a week for a year, which I think is phenomenal. People will dedicate that time. And it's not, we're not giving you money. We're not enabling you, but you know, you're looking for a job in banking. I know someone who is in banking. Let me connect you or you need access to this. Let me help you. But it's not free. It's not handouts. It's not, oh, we feel sorry for you. It's, we want to help you, enable you to do to do good, to stay on your feet. And it's only 44 people so far, which I think is phenomenal, but no one's homeless. No one's incarcerated. You know, everyone's doing really well. You know, there's certainly there are lots of hiccups along the way and yeah. things come up, but what she, this one-on-one attention that she's getting, and she has county support. I'm on the board of her organization, actually seeing her tomorrow. And then Joe Pulitzi started a nonprofit with Pam, his wife, Orange Effect Foundation. They have a now 16-year-old who, when he was 18 months old, they diagnosed him with autism. And because they had the means, he got really early intervention. 
And now he's a thriving high school student who is, you know, a class leader. He's a really smart kid, active in a bunch of different things because he got help when he was, was young. So they're trying to give children access, to, yeah. children and families access to therapy and devices that they otherwise couldn't have access to. So I'm on the board of that. So a lot of time, a lot of good, but totally worth it. That's awesome. It's funny the the when you talk about the foster kids. So my dad was a was a counselor, but he's also president of the teachers association, and he since is retired. But he does the same thing, but he has to do it through the court system. And so they'll appoint. I can't remember the name of what they call when they appoint him. Um, but anyways, my dad gets appointed, and he'll have a foster child every year that he goes and takes him out. I don't know if it's once a week, but he'll go and take him baseball games and take him here and help him like. Right. Just stuff. Yeah, different things. And so he's really, really enjoyed that retirement because he was, before he was obviously very interactive with kids and, you know, was very, very proactive with, you know, making sure to help people. And the foster system's really, you get to a certain point and you just drop off. Like you're off the radar. Like nobody, not that they don't care, but you're just not getting the exposure that, or not getting the type of support that you would as a, like a young kid would or something like that. You get to a certain point, it's like, hey, you're out of the womb right. thing. And it just, you know, a lot of, it's like, okay, but I'm, that doesn't mean I'm still ready. You know, it's like, I haven't, maybe there's a lot of things that still need to happen support wise. So that's interesting. Yeah. And these kids are all like, when you turn 18, it's kind of like, okay, we're done. You're done. Yeah. You my my responsibility is done. Yeah. Which is a hard one because a lot of them aren't ready still at that point. I mean, I wasn't, I had a yeah. great family. I wasn't ready at 18 for, you know, I mean, I still need a little support there if you know what I mean. All right. So this is going to be, this is the, this is the big question. This is the, this is the one that just floors people usually. So I'm, I, I think you're going to be ready for this one. So if there was uh, one hashtag that describes you best, because I know you're a big hashtag user, maybe a potential hashtag abuser, but you tell me what, what would the hashtag be for Kathy? Like what would be like, they would say it's hashtag, I would say maybe big giver, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not here to, I'm not here to push either way. Well, I wouldn't say that because I don't like, I'm not a good self-promoter. I'm much better promoting other things besides myself. So I would not make it about me. I probably would say CMworld because that's kind of like my world right now. There we go. And then I try to stay off social otherwise. I like Instagram. I like Instagram a lot, but yeah. I try to, I've kind of been down on Facebook a little bit. Yeah. I've, and I don't really tweet personal stuff. So really, I guess I would say CMworld is my answer. Fine. That's your final answer. That's you have to call anybody or anything. That's good. That's good. I feel like yeah, that's a strong answer. Another thing is, so I went to go add you on Instagram and you have a private, like, what's up with that? Like, why? I mean, can you not, can we not, can the whole world not know about what's going on in Kathy's life? Or is it you trying to keep things secrets or what's the deal? I mean, I'm trying to. I would say two things. One, my kids are on there. Ah. And two, I had a bad situation. Ah, there we go. That's it. So, yeah. Bad situation. Pretty simple. It to go private. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm trying to be a smart aleck. And you're like, no, I had a real world situation, Shane. I'm like, wow, don't I feel like <laughs> yeah. Jackass. Thanks, thanks Shane. Thanks yes. for bringing that up. Thanks for bringing up the, on the podcast. This is, well, it looks like we're going to have to edit out the last part again from Shane's podcast. It's either talking about meth or situations that are uncomfortable. Way to go, Shane. Another successful podcast. It's all good. I'm over it. Good, 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 good. Well, I'm glad you, glad you made it through. Kathy, you've been a doll. This was fun. Nice. It was super fun. Hour of action. Nothing but a good time. I really, really thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you. It was fun. All right. We'll talk soon. 